Welcome to Choosing Leadership and this is another episode of the Investor's Lens series with your host Somit Gupta. This series will look at leadership from the point of view of an investor or a VC. In each episode of this series we will explore what traits, behaviors or red flags investors see in their founders that they work with and how founders evolve over time as they grow and become better leaders. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to create organizations where people get to do the work of their lives. Together let us do our bit to create a world where all of us can show up as leaders. With that let us get started. Anoop is the managing partner at Orios Venture Partners with previous leadership stints in Bata and Yum restaurants. In the interview Anoop a seasoned leader who has worked with both startups and large organizations shares his insights on leadership he emphasizes the importance of leading by example and bringing your best self to work regardless of the organization's size anoop highlights the challenges faced by both startups and large corporations and stresses the need for inspiring and detailed work building cohesive teams and maintaining integrity he also discusses the crucial role of the wider ecosystem including co-founders mentors coaches advisors and peer groups in supporting founders through their journey of growth success and failures hi anup yep. and welcome to the choosing leadership podcast hi sumit great to be here on your podcast it's a pleasure to have you here and for our listeners can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what do you do so i work in the very interesting sector of venture capital that is always in the news these days for one reason or another i wouldn't say positive or negative but it manages to be in the news and certainly my dream is to make india's entrepreneurs dreams possible whichever area they might be working in but especially in the area of technology led businesses because this is one thing that i feel is where india is strong india is known all over the world and finally is our time to use it for the betterment of our own lives and converting ourselves or transforming ourselves from a developing country to a developed country as much as you must have heard the government and the prime minister say over the next 25 years hopefully or even earlier yeah thank you for sharing that and i think the startup ecosystem itself has evolved quite a lot in the last decade or 6 to 7 years even so can you share a bit of your own back story i know you come from a corporate background so what led you towards venture capital and investing so i think i landed up here in a very interesting myriad of ways that my career shaped up So when I started my career there was no venture capital at least to hear of. I went one passed out from an engineering campus and this was way back when in my college which is now known as DTU or Delhi Technological University. So all one wanted to do was uh, crack some interviews and land a job. And that I did. Uh and then after that one would one was guided to do an MBA which I did as well from FMS again in Delhi. and then again one was guided to join an mnc and my passion lay in consumer marketing and consumer brands and that was an area of interest for me so i was lucky enough to join procter and gamble but then i saw the first dot com boom and i was again enamored to create an impact through that venture and being part of the early startup team over there so i joined the team and that was the beginning of my realization that being part of startups being part of small teams growing from 0 to 1 1 to 
interests me a, a whole lot. In fact, as I moved back from the dot-com world back into the legacy businesses, as they're called today, into various assignments, I seem to attract a lot of transformational assignments, a lot of turnaround assignments. And those required disruptive thinking and almost always required an intersection of knowledge of the business as well as technology. So I landed up introducing websites and e-commerce and dealing with inquiries and lead generation back in the days for all of these companies and full order processing, et cetera. In fact, I experienced it in a heavy way in Australia when our competitor used to source 50% of their business and we didn't even have an iPhone app. And when I landed up in Sydney, I saw even the taxi driver had a iPhone. So uh, it was very obvious that our consumers wanted to order through the internet. They were quite capable of it. They preferred it. And we had to transform our business, get our marketing and sales hat together along with the operations and make sure that we weren't just giving out great products, but also putting together the right e-commerce platform so that they could order it without any issues and actually enjoy the experience even more. Uh, in a developed market, people are not money poor, they're time poor. And therefore, this is a matter of convenience. And if you don't have it, it's a matter of hygiene if your competition has it. So I started to do a bit of angel investing after spending a couple of decades in different corporates. And I was lucky enough to work in those teams in different operational assignments. And I saw the advent and rise of cloud at that point in time in 2015-16. And we had started to become cord cutters move away from appointment-related programming, watching it on some channels and networks that were part of our lives to something called Netflix. <clears throat> we were ordering taxis through cab aggregator platforms. We had begun ordering through Amazons and Flipkarts. So uh, the seed of entrepreneurship, which always stayed inside me, transformed itself once again. And I was ready for my next gig, which is to do work alongside entrepreneurs and move the journey from zero to one and one to 100. And uh, utilize all my experience and all my learnings, all the successes and mistakes of having worked in those large companies and uh, hopefully make some of them successful. So venture capital therefore was a natural one after doing a bit of angel investing and advising firms, private equity, et cetera. If you remember at that point of time, uh, some of the leading players in food retail were being funded at that point of time. So I happened to spend some time advising some of the firms and some of those guys became my friends and we stay in touch till date. And uh, that's when venture capital happened to me. And that's how I find myself in venture capital. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that story. And as you talked about uh, developing countries and developed countries, I think we can use the same analogy for large corporations to startups, right? So startups, as you said, zero to one, one to 10, but large organizations are very much like thousand to 10,000, like on that scale. So I want to understand, right? How has your views about leadership changed or evolved as you have now worked with founders, worked with a very different kind of like a very chaotic system from your experience, what were the advantages or disadvantages that you learned or that you had to unlearn and then evolve? Yeah. So look, in large organizations or small organizations, I think leadership has to carry one trait always. And that is irrespective of size, which is it has to lead by example, which means that if you're, if you're not bringing your 100% to work, if you're not going 
beyond and above. You have no right to demand this from your team. And larger organizations, they have the challenge of becoming even larger and delivering on top of that large base, which itself is a challenge. And, and that means moving large parts of the organization in tandem to be able to deliver that result. Similarly, in a startup, it is extremely challenging because you're coming up with a new idea, you're bringing it to life. And there is a way of doing things currently, but it is either with a legacy business or it is with a competitor who's maybe started up a little bit ahead of you. So how do you battle that? How do you change consumer preferences? It's a tall order. So one thing that I have found that leaders need to have is lead by example. Bring a more than 100% of yourself to work. And which to me is just being professional, right? If one is going to just get by and look at the monthly emoluments coming home, then it's, the results are going to be average. And you're going to create a, a terrible uh, you know, advantage for your competition as a result. So that's one. Second is the one has to be inspiring, right? And I think the first one and the second one kind of are the hard and soft part of it, right? If you do the first you, uh, by itself, you're inspiring. And second, I think is the way you work, right? Which is how deep and how detailed you go into things, right? Yourself. How much do you guide your team, right? how much you're able to work with them alongside, right? So that they understand exactly what you want, right? And how you want it and spend time on that, training them and learning also along with them on how they do things and taking out their best strengths and advising them on their weaknesses. And the best of the managers that I worked with actually did that with me. So I did have great pleasure out of working with people who trust me as a manager and work along with me and are able to bring in their 100% to work and then we work together not as a, a supervisor and an employee, but we work like teammates. So I don't like to bring hierarchy to work and therefore I do smaller teams, smaller organizations, but at the same time, I've also worked in large organizations, but I found the leadership traits to be quite, quite similar. The third thing I think is being upright, right? If you say something today and tomorrow you are found doing something else, right? That is, <laughs> that just kills everything else. No matter how well you're performing, you'll end up establishing a culture where people are pitted against one another. And I mentioned this in one of my posts, such organizations are doomed to fail. They will not, they will go from zero to one, one to maybe 10, but then they will walk back because the organization will fall like nine pins. The workplace will become toxic. Right. And people will hang around because they have something short term to achieve, probably a promotion, probably some gain in designation or gain in, in, in some form or the other. And then they will move on. So they're just looking for that opportunity. So cultures are very difficult to create. And finally, cultures are going to be much more important than any kind of strategy one can deploy from taking the organization from 10 to 100. So I think that differentiates leaders and how leaders are able to create those cultures on basis of some principles and those principles then become shared. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think leading by example and then the emphasis on culture, especially as the organization starts to grow beyond a certain size, I think both are very relevant and practical when it comes to startups. 
Now, having said that, many times founders are also under a lot of pressure, as you said, right? They have to be uptight. They have to be like be on their word. They have to set the right example. And we spoke about media earlier, right? So many times founders are in the limelight, either for success or for something which which where they have erred, right? But unintentionally. But they are put into tremendous pressure just by how the world observes them or demands of them. So how do you see that growth for founders themselves as they move forward, as they make mistakes, as they succeed as well as fail and deal with that pressure? How do how have you seen their own journey of growth? Well, I've been lucky enough to work along, alongside some very good founders and I've seen them literally grow their organizations and themselves together and rise up to the occasion. I think it is, to some people, it, it is it comes naturally. And once you decide to do something, you just know it in yourself, what paths you have to walk, how fast, where you have to go slow. In any case, there are multiple pivots that happen in a founder's journey before eventual success or some semblance of success, some milestone achievement happens, which they can call and uh, as significant or substantial. It is not an easy journey. It is a very humbling journey. And therefore, uh, that I think is the biggest teacher of it all. When you put in a huge amount of effort, you expect things to go one way and then they go completely the other way or you don't get what you want, then that's brings a whole lot of acceptance and realization. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the best way to deal with it is to firstly accept it and then see what went wrong, what went right, and hold the team together. Founders who are able to hold their core team together, typically they will progress much more. And this is true of any organization, I would say, even venture capital firms. So uh, organizations which are able to hold, the founders who are able to hold the various partners who have joined them in their journey, in different functions, etc., for the longest time possible, of course. And that comes through, again, through a mix of how much you prepare to share wealth. That often is a very big decider, I think, because along with risk is the expectation of return. And employees, and good employees of that, whom a founder may wish to hire, they always have the choice whether to join a less risky firm and spend next five years of their career over there or to join the founder in their company where they know that there is a runway of, let's say, 18 to 24 months or even less. And not everything is certain. Sometimes you even have to take a pay cut and live with the expectation that the ESOPs are going to be paying much more out for you than if you had not taken that risk and stayed in a, let's say, a a less risky, profitable firm. Because startups, by definition, are not profitable to begin with, and therefore they require funding, especially ones which are venture capital and technology uh, driven. They don't immediately have the specter of being self-sustainable. So uh, I think the humility that comes from that, that you need to retain good employees by giving them meaningful work, by being fair to them, and even in tough situations, sharing the news in an empathetic fashion. I have seen founders who were facing a shutdown and when they conveyed this very empathetically to their team and they gave up their own compensation long before such a thing happened so that the company and the employees had the best chance of survival 
the employees raise their hands to continue a little longer uh, to support their common dream. And lo and behold, the breakthrough happened a little later and the organization is in a very different place today. So there will be some, if I can call it near-death experiences that I have seen in many of the startups that I work with and where I personally like those investments where this has happened. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that emphasis on the team and also sharing the wealth. What role do you think the wider ecosystem plays? Mentors, coaches, advisors, even VCs as, as advisors, because many VCs are like very well professionals in the industry and also peer group, right? Sharing openly with other founders. What role do you think that the wider ecosystem outside of the founders organization play in supporting the founder as they deal with challenges, successes, failures? All right. So being a founder, look, especially at the early stage is a very lonely exercise. And uh, it's great to have a co-founder or co-founders, firstly, to begin with, because uh, firstly, they bring complementarity in terms of skills, strengths, weaknesses, and their point of view. And uh, it brings cohesion, it brings respect, it brings a well thought out, and even investors prefer that. I certainly prefer that. The role of the ecosystem in terms of networking with other founders, I think that is a given. All founders have their closed group of friendly founders who they discuss things with, share references of every kind, whether vendors, whether employees and all sorts of things, right? Legal included. That's how they do their ref checks as well on investors like us. The ecosystem in terms of working with other coaches and advisors, I think that's a very personal thing. Very often I've seen it go both ways. There are some coaches and advisors who profess that they will spend a lot of time, take away some sweat equity. The naive founders end up giving some equity. And later on, they don't receive the time that they thought that they will. Okay, I think that's unfair. And that practice should be, should be completely abhorred. And I'm sure such mentors will not last very long if they continue like this. But the real coaches and advisors who typically do, I think the gold standard of that is that, look, everybody has finite time. So how can you be doing that, uh, promising that finite time across 50 startups? Because then you're just building a folio and then it's just passive investment. So just call it that. Then don't uh, call it active coaching or active mentoring. Even venture capital investors, at least my personal philosophy, and I take pride and joy in that, is I'm on speed dial with most of my founders and I hope they'll watch for that. Any time of the day, night, whatever, week, weekend is... Yeah, I, I enjoy it. So uh, being a sounding board and uh, being a listening post is sometimes also quite fruitful for founders going through various things. I think they're smart enough to figure things out, but they just need sometimes to maybe vent things out, somebody to talk to, somebody to brainstorm things with, and one doesn't have to suggest solutions right? One can just share experiences. One can just talk about or refer them people. One does not, one is not looking for a prescription because we are not doctors, right? And there is no problem. I feel that the founders cannot solve. So we often play some of these roles and naturally founders, uh, I have found gravitate irrespective of the shareholding on the cap table towards investors who they feel are, have got their best interests at heart. Mm. who they feel culturally close to, who they feel that they can reach out to who will make the time and who are genuinely interested in seeing them succeed. 
And you asked a question about leadership and your talks are all about leadership. Leadership is all about making other people succeed and influencing them, not directing them into how they should go about doing it, perhaps, and sharing experiences. And if it makes logical sense and if it suits them, then, <laughs> you know, they'll accept your leadership, otherwise not. So I think it is, it is all these things that founders depend on to, to guide their journey forward from the ecosystem. Thank you for sharing that important role that the wider ecosystem plays and also the pitfalls that lies in that, in that ecosystem. Thank you for sharing that. Now, coming back to you, can you share a bit more on the kind of companies that, that you invest in? What is your own vision right now? Yeah, sure. So I've begun investing as an angel investor back in 2015-16. And uh, there is a company that I'm very proud of, which is Stage. It was called Vitifeed at that point of time. And it transformed itself, Vinay and team, into what is known as Stage OTG, which is a regional dialect-based OTT, which I think is a big gap in the Indian consumers' entertainment space. There are only 100 million Indians or so who enjoy maybe programming in English, but at the same time, you put them in front of a Hindi poet uh, and a comedy, and a mixture of Hindi and English or whatever dialect, they will enjoy that as well. In fact, they'll enjoy it even more. So I loved investing in that and I'm going through the initial years. Now, of course, they're going great guns and I'm sure they'll reach to great heights. So that's one of the spaces. <clears throat> the other space is financial services and health. So I personally led the investment in a diabetes management company called Beto, and I'm very proud of the work that they have done in providing a holistic wellness to something that affects 12% of all Indians. In fact, 60% of all <clears throat> global diabetes population is actually in Asia. So there is a bigger scope for Beto to extend beyond the borders as well. In terms of financial services, again, look, the small town Indians who are banked today, thanks to the, all the penetration of bank accounts, but they are underserved because they're not customized products and services. So landed up investing in VRISE. Similarly, corporate cards for the rapidly digitizing SMB population in India, which is carbon. And very recently into climate with Varaha mm -hmm. in the area of working with smallholder farmers to produce carbon credits and take climate action in the right direction, as well as next wave, which is again working with uh, engineering colleges, our students of engineering colleges based in smaller town India, who are more comfortable accepting pedagogy in native language and English together than just pure English and placing them in good entry-level jobs in leading organizations uh, with next wave. So these are some examples, and how can I forget battery smart? So in the area of electric mobility, I think many investors passed it, but I was, I was very convinced that this would create a large infrastructure and almost solve the chicken and egg problem in electric mobility as to whether the vehicles will come first, or the infra will come first. Obviously, the infra has to come first. And uh, there was a residual, and there was a large uh, resident population of e-rickshaws, which dots the, the country, about 2.5 million of them. And you can build a business around that and wait for the commercial logistics to open up, which it did. Both two-wheeler commercial logistics and three-wheelers are leading to a very viable business and it's become a leader in its own space. So yeah, my, my investing style has been on my family. Originally, my dad hails from a small town, so I never lose touch. In fact, I take my family off to what is called Tier 2 and Tier 3 India with a lot of pride and aplomb. So we don't just go overseas 
to some European destination for holidays as many perhaps Indians living in top cities would do to stay in touch with India. But this helps me to stay in touch with the real India as it is. So I see how consumers behave in those cities towards products and services. I land up meeting and interacting and transacting with small merchants based in those. And that's how real India moves. And technology has to deliver solutions to them rather than us living in the top cities who are spoiled. In fact, we look to, for us, the globe is a canvas. When we choose to have something in our phone, we choose between an Indian app or can something serve me even better, right? Which lies outside of India, perhaps. So for us, the you know, choices are far more. But for those living over there, they're looking for solutions which are attuned to them. So I think my investment philosophy has been a lot born out of my past corporate experience of having traveled the length and breadth of India, meeting consumers, merchants, retailers, businesses, factories, etc. in there, and then continuing to build on top of that with maintaining touch with all of these constituents that make up India as a whole and our investments reflect that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, that portfolio of companies, but also your emphasis on how you see India or how you stay in touch with India, how you like even personally travel and try to get a pulse and that directly relates to the kind of companies that you also invest in. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and as we begin to wrap this up, can you share, you shared a bit about your personal side, right? Can you share something other than startups or investing, which keeps you busy, where your passions, can you share what adds, what completes the picture for you? So that's an interesting question. So look, whatever time I get, I spend with the family. So that really makes my life complete. Plus, of course, I love to travel and explore different cultures. Asia is a favorite of mine. I think there's so much common between Asia and India. In fact, we are a microcosm of what Asia is all about. And we, of course, we share love for spices and flavors and curries and soups, which is very good. Um, I think beyond just this, uh, the area of startups, I'd love to read. Recently, I've also uh, trying to learn a musical instrument back again, which I dropped it off during my school days. And uh, yeah, I think this fills up my day completely. So yeah, I look forward to doing more and more of the same, actually. Thank you. Thank you, Anup, for sharing that as well. And as we wrap this up, if anybody who's listening who wants to find out more about you or stay in touch, what is the best way for them to do so? I think the best way is to connect on LinkedIn because then you get connected forever and one can stay in touch on each other's updates in a very automatic fashion, so to speak. So one doesn't have to make any special effort. So I think this is a wonderful platform for all of us professionally to stay in tune. And even personally, I think as many people are sharing a lot of their personal stories, and I think personal stories along with professional stories really complete the complete picture. And, and that's what you're doing in your podcast as well. Thank you. Thank you, Anup, for sharing what you shared, the personal and the professional side of your own story, your own journey. As well as I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you and for the companies and the founders that you work with. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Sumit. It's a real privilege and great talking to you. And I wish you the very best for your show as well. May you talk to a hundred more such and bring us more knowledge. Thank you. Thank you, Anup. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. 
If you like the sound of it, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs ups, ratings and reviews mean a lot to me and my team. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit and until next time, keep choosing leadership.